to remind y'all, or if you're visiting with us for the first time, to let you know uh, where we are and what kind of what's going on. This year, the Lord has led us as a church to read through the Bible together on a chronological reading plan. Uh, if you think there's any chance you might want to join us, you can pick up one of these out there in the foyer. I noticed we have printed hundreds of these, and uh, they keep disappearing. Uh, this, this will help you with a reading plan. What we are using is a reading plan that's chronological, so it's not necessarily just Genesis to Revelation. It's as the story unfolds. You'll see a little bit more of how that impacts us when we get into, say, Kings and, and uh, uh, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, where, where those, you, you might read something from Kings, something from Chronicles in a Psalm that was written around that same time. So it helps you see the story as God reveals himself and helps to unfold things from the beginning to the end. It's his story. Uh, scripture is here to point us to him. Now, what that means is, as you're reading during the week, uh, there is also a, a podcast, or you can find it on YouTube, called The Bible Recap. That is five to eight minutes that will help you get more out of your reading. If you'll go listen to it or watch it or even uh, if you want to pick up a book, you can find it on Amazon. I'd picked up a few, and folks have, have uh, picked those up from the church. You don't get as much out of the book because it's only two pages, and it's a lot shorter, but uh, you'll get a whole lot out of those podcasts. I'd encourage you to do that, to stay caught up with us, because every Sunday school lesson, every youth uh, lesson, and every sermon this year, except one, and I'll get to that in a minute, uh, come from this week's reading. Uh, and so if you read, you'll be caught up and you'll be prepared to go. Purposefully in our preaching, as we go through the Old Testament, the first nine months, when you read through the Bible or in the Old Testament, we're looking for Christ in the Old Testament. And let me tell you, if you were caught up with a reading this week, you got to see Jesus all over the place. Uh, if you missed uh, the image of Isaac carrying the wood up the mountain that Jesus later carried a cross up, you miss that picture of Christ. And all through your reading this week, and one of the things the, 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 from the Bible recap, Terry Lee Cobble is the narrator of the Bible recap, she'll point out a lot of those things that I've missed in my reading sometimes. So back to the one day. There was one Sunday that the preaching did not come from that week's reading. And it was last week, and I'm aware of that. You know, so those of you that weren't here or, or don't know the circumstances, Kevin Skinner was our uh, pastor on staff here for 11 years. He's gone to First Baptist Church Stockdale down east of San Antonio. He doesn't even know where he preaches, I figured out. And I listened to a sermon last week. He said he was west, uh, east of San Antonio down there, and he's been down there a couple years. We did a pulpit swap last week. He came back here, and he preached for uh, our disciple now, and he preached on Sunday morning, and I preached down there in his pulpit for him. And so he, uh, he told me that for continuity with the Disciple Now sermons, he, he didn't want to preach the text from Job last week. But after hearing, I listened to it on the way home, after realizing that he chose the Great Commission, I think he just wanted an easy text to preach. Because <laughs> apparently he accused me of always giving him the easy text uh, when I was out, and I think he just did that. He, he couldn't preach a hard text from this pulpit. I don't know. But I think that that's what happened. Other than last week, though, we will, every message will come from your reading this week. And so hopefully that, that I want to encourage you to do that. Man, there, there's two reasons for it. Uh, one, 
if you'll spend time in the Word of God, you'll grow in your faith, but you, you'll begin to fall in love with the Word of God. I hope that over the last three weeks, as you've been reading your Scripture, that you've fallen more and more in love with God's Word. And as a, a part of that, you've fallen more and more in love with Him. Because truly, He's where the joy is, right? He is. And if we will spend time in his word, you know, this week I was struck. I, I may give you all one of these at the beginning of the sermon. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I was struck by God's love that he showed to Hagar. Hagar, uh, Sarah's maiden who conceived and sinned, whether you say it's a Sarah's fault or Hagar's fault, whatever, it caused a big rift in the family, like sin always does in the midst of a family. And Hagar runs off into the desert to hide from Sarah. And what did God do? He pursued her. Regardless of whatever reasons there are, regardless of her circumstances, she's not a part of the family lineage. She's not a part of that lineage of where the Messiah is going to come from. She wasn't part of the promise. God pursued her and spoke personally to her, met her, loved her, cared for her, provided for her. What a beautiful picture of our Lord's love for all of us. There's your introduction. Read. What well, one other note, and I've, I mentioned this two weeks ago. If you are joining us for the first time, maybe you're a visitor and God's leading you to this church and you want to kind of get plugged in and follow along, I would encourage, normally I would encourage you to start from the beginning, start at day one. But because of the way we're doing this as a church, I'm going to encourage you to start with today. Start with today's reading and just stay on track. And then if at the end of the year you want to go back and pick up those other three weeks so that you can say you read the Bible all the way through, great. If you want to go back and pick up an extra day every once in a while to get caught up. You can check them off on your list. Uh, you can use the Bible app online and then check them off. Uh, if you use the, the Bible app to do your Bible reading, uh, the, this, this plan, the Bible recaps on there. So I would encourage you to, to join in and, and read along. If you get too far behind, pick up on today. Don't, because you're going you're gonna to need to stay up so that we're all on the same page as we read together. So there's my introduction to the Bible recap. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, thank you for your word, your word that reveals you to us, your purpose, your plan, but even more importantly, your heart. We get to see you, Lord, when we spend time in your word. Lord, I ask that you help us to continue to fall more and more in love with you as we fall in love with your revelation of yourself to us your message to us as you show us who you are, your beauty, your love, your majesty, your glory, your, your faithfulness, all, Lord, that we get to see of you in your word. Help us to fall more in love with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. This is the, the, the covenant. When we talk about the church being the, under the new covenant, one of the older covenants is the Abrahamic covenant. It was the covenant God made with Abraham when he called Abraham out of his homeland. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we'll see the initiation of that covenant when God calls Abraham. And then we see God reaffirm that covenant after Abraham had gotten in the promised land and had begun to settle down. He'd already had to take a few steps of faith. And, and in, so we'll look at Genesis 12, 1 through 8, and Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Now, this is a little bit different than how I normally preach. Uh, but we, I want to walk through these two covenants, and we're going to answer this question. What do I do when God speaks? 
What should I do when God speaks to me? How should I respond when God is speaking to me? Now, first and foremost, I understand that the primary way, the number one way that God speaks to you is through his word. Now, I believe that God oftentimes will speak as you're in prayer. He'll speak through impressions upon your heart. But if your heart doesn't match up with God's word, don't trust your heart. Trust God's word. God will speak to you through other people. He may speak to you through a pastor, through a friend, through a spouse, through a family, other family member. But if God's, if that message that you're getting from that other person doesn't line up with God's word, trust God's word. You hear a theme here? I believe that God speaks through dreams at times. He's spoken to me in the middle of the night through dreams. We see it in scripture. I don't believe that, that, that that's over. I believe God still speaks through dreams and he'll guide us and he'll lead us. But if your dream doesn't add up with God's word, trust God's word because it might, that dream might've been caused by the sausage you ate last night or the chili and not by, uh, it might not be a message from God. Whereas God's message to you will always line up with his word. In fact, the primary way that God is going to speak to his people today is through his word. He has revealed himself. We can know God because he's revealed himself through his word. So read with me Genesis 12, one through eight to begin with. The scripture says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions that he had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham or Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. So you see Abraham's initial calling here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Put yourself in Abraham's place. And some of you have had an experience similar to this. Some of you may not have. But if you, if, can you ever think of a time, have you been in a position where you knew that God was calling you to something, but he didn't give you all the details? Or maybe God was calling you away from something and he didn't even tell you where you were going. That's the case here. But it wasn't just Abram. He told Abram to pack up his family, all of his possessions, and leave. Leave where you are. Leave your relatives. Leave your father's house. Go. My first question is probably your first question. Where? To a place I will show you. Pack up and go. The first thing that I want you to note about this, and we're going we're to look at seven quick points. The first thing I want you to note about this is Abraham hears the call of God. What do you have to do when God speaks? First, you have to hear him. You have to be in a position to listen. 
so that you can hear the voice of God. Now, that's only going to come when in a couple ways. One, if you're spending time in his word, you're going to be in a position to hear God's word. You're going to be in a position to hear his leadership. If you're spending time in prayer, you're going to be in a position to hear him. I had a, a friend of mine, he was a, on a staff with me there at May with what staff we had at May First Baptist Church. And he came to me one time and he was struggling about some particular direction in his life. And he comes to me and he, he, he tells me all of his struggles. And I'm not sure if God's leading me to do this or if he's calling me to do this or if I'm supposed to go to school here or if I'm, if I'm supposed to move here. And I just don't know what it is God's leading me to do. And I said, well, brother, here's my advice. I said, first of all, have you really brought this before the Lord and prayed about it? He goes, well, not really. And I said, well, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. In your case, I think this is going to be necessary. You're not working right now other than he was working at the church. I said, for the next three, three days of this week, I want you to take an hour, close the door to your bedroom, or if you need to go in your closet or bathroom, whatever you need to do, close the door with your Bible and pray and ask the Lord to speak, to, to, to show you himself and to show you what he's leading you to do. Okay, okay, I'll do that. About a month later, he comes back to me. Same frustration, same story. I said, brother, did you spend time with the Lord? And he goes, well, no, I did it one time for about five minutes and the doorbell rang and I got distracted and I never went back to it. How in the world do you expect to hear the voice of God if you're not willing to listen to God? If you're not willing to spend time with him? The reason that I can know my wife's desires and, and what my wife needs is, is because I listen to her. I ask her and I spend time with her and I listen to her. If we're going to hear the voice of God, if we're going to be called by God and walk with God, we've got to hear his voice. We have to listen and we have to be in his word. That's where I think that us joining together as a church to hold each other accountable and say, we're going to read God's word together. And we're going to talk about it on Sundays. And, and you're gonna, you can ask me, any, you come up here on Tuesday, ask me what God showed me this week. Come up here on Thursday. Ask me what, what my God shot was. What did I learn about God this week? Because if you'll do that, we'll hold one another accountable. We'll be in the Word of God. And if we're in the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, we will hear from God. He desires to reveal himself to us. So Abraham heard God say, leave. Leave. That's the first thing that he heard. And then he said, to a land that I will show you, that I will show you. So then we have to submit to his guidance. First, we have to hear him, and then second, we have to submit to his guidance. I want you to notice something about this. Clearly, God didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't give him a compass. He just said, walk with me, and I'll show you. One of the things that, I, that I've learned through my years walking with the Lord is the walk is much more important than the destination. Our Heavenly Father, the living Lord, desires a relationship with his children. We just read Genesis 1 through 3 a few weeks ago. God enjoyed the fellowship he had with Adam in the garden. He walked with him. And I believe that one of the reasons that God doesn't give Abram the, the destination here is because he just wanted him to walk with him. 
when I was, we did some mission work in Peru, one of the things that I learned to do was just trust the missionaries. Quentin and Gina would say, all right, we're going to go to such and such a place. And, uh, oh, I don't know where such and such a place is. I don't know how we're going to get there. So you know what I did? I followed them. I kept my eyes on Quentin and Gina. And when they said cross the street, I crossed the street. When they said get on the bus, I got on the bus. When they said get off the bus, I got off the bus. I, I went with Quentin and Gina and I learned to enjoy the journey. I didn't have to worry about the destination. I didn't have to worry about how I was going to get there. I didn't have to worry about all the details. I just followed them. I just went with them. It, it's akin to uh, uh, what <laughs> John Wilson did uh, a couple years ago for the first time. I told him we were going to go to to Grand Teton National Park, and we're going to go to Yellowstone, and he's going to love it. He goes, okay, when are we going to leave? I said, well, we're going to leave at a certain time. Well, how are we, you know, how long is it going to take? Don't worry about it. What, where are we going to stop? Don't worry about it. I don't know where we're going to stop. Get in the truck with me, sit in the passenger seat, and we'll go. Okay? That's all you have to do. Get in the truck, sit in the passenger seat, and go, if I need you to help with something, I'll tell you what to do. If I, I'll, I'll take you. I'll be your guide. And that's exactly what he did. And he loved every minute of it. I think most of it. <laughs> you know what? To be real honest, when I got in the seat with Jesus and started riding on the, 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 the trail that he's taken me, uh, this journey in life, I'll have to admit there's some of it I didn't like. Most of it I've thoroughly enjoyed. But there's some of this journey I haven't liked. Some of it Abraham's probably not going to like. But his guidance is follow me and take, I'll, I'll take you. Go to the land that I'm going to show you. Follow me. It reminds me of Psalms when, when scripture says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. He doesn't say he gives us a floodlight and he shows us the end or the final destination. He says, I'll show you where your next step is. Follow me. And if we'll do that, we can walk in a relationship with the living God and enjoy the journey every step of the way. So listen to his call, submit to his guidance. Third, rely on his provision. This is one of the most beautiful parts of the Abrahamic covenant that people will quote over and over and over. It, it, the, these two verses, verses two and three, I want you to focus on two words that appear time and time again. I will, this is the king of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, the one who made the oceans, who made the mountains, who put the stars in place, who sent his son to die on a cross for you. This is that God. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Now, I, I fully and completely understand that the covenant that God made with Abraham was a unique covenant for unique people. But one of the things that we've learned this week in our reading about God is he is an incredible provider. He provides. He provided for Hagar. He provided an escape for Lot. He, he provides. Uh, he provided a ram up on the mountain. He, he provides every step of the way if we'll rely on his provision. God's promise to you is, I will provide. He'll take care of you. Well, see, you'll never see his children begging for bread, he says. If you'll obey him and walk with him, he will provide. Now, 
talked with a lady this week that was dealing with this issue. <laughs> she had to tell someone in her family, look, Scripture also says if you don't work, you don't eat. God's called us to journey with him, but on that journey, he's going to provide. It, it, it reminds me that every single gift I have, and you've heard me say this time and again, because this is something that that God spoke to my heart and, 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 and affirmed in my heart when Katie was three years old, three days old, I'm sorry, three days old. Everything in my life, every person, every object, every dollar in the bank account, everything in my life, my wife, my family, my friends, my church family, you are a gift from God. Like Job said in Job 1, I came into this world with nothing. When I go out, I'll have nothing. Every blessing between that birth date and that death date is a gift from God that he has provided. He is the provider. He will provide for his children. Fourth, obey his instruction. Obey his instruction. Now, we don't like that word obey. That's where it starts requiring something from us. We like the idea that he's going to show us where to go. We kind of like the idea that he's going to take care of all of our needs. But part of a covenant is it's two-way. He says, obey. And what Abraham did is Abraham obeyed. Look at what Abraham did in the next few verses, verses 4 through 7. Abraham went. God said go. Abraham went. Get it? He didn't argue. He didn't dilly-dally. He packed up his stuff, and he left. As he went, how did he go? As the Lord told him. He obeyed the voice of God. When God said leave, he left. He went where God was telling him to go. He didn't know where he was going. He was going with God, but he left. When he went, he took. He took everything that, that he had with him. He, he, he wasn't coming back to Aaron. He left, he took everything with him, and then he built an altar. And then when God told him to move, he moved again and he built another altar. Abraham walked as the Lord gave him light for each and every step. Abraham went where he was told to go and obeyed the Lord. So what, how ought we respond when, we, when God speaks to us? First, we've got to be listening so that we can follow his direction. Second, we submit to his guidance. Let him Take the wheel. Somebody sent me a joke this week that, uh, in fact, Paul Michael sent it to me. It had a picture of Jesus standing next to all of these wheels from a car. And it's, this is all the wheels that Jesus has taken. Y'all get it if you've heard the song, right? That's exactly what Abraham did. He allowed God to take the wheel and to, and to take him to where he was supposed to go. And then he obeyed God every step of the way. As he lived life in the promised land, he walked, he built, he took, he moved, he did what God was calling him to do, obeying God's instruction each step of the way. And then, then third, or the fourth thing that we see here, I'm sorry, it's the fifth thing now that we see here in, in chapter 12, is he worshiped the Lord. When we worship the Lord, it reminds us of who truly is in charge. You know, that's one of the problems we get into as Christians when we start, uh, start on this journey and, and, and maybe when things start going pretty well, maybe we've made some money and we're, we're at a comfortable place in life, we start feeling like we are in charge. Ultimately, folks, you and I are never 
forever in charge. Do you realize that your next breath even is a gift from God? He ultimately is the giver of life. He is the one who's in charge. And, and so when we set aside time in our, our rhythm of life, whether it's weekly or it's daily, and we spend time worshiping the Lord, it reminds us that he's God and I'm not. He's the one who's the Lord of my life. He's the one who's in charge of it all. So we worship him with reverence. Abraham built an altar to the Lord when, when the Lord showed him, this is the land that I'm going to give your offspring. So he built an altar, the Lord who appeared from him. And then from there, the Lord called him to move to the hill country, east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent there between Bethel and I. And there, what did he do when he got to the new place? He built another altar so he could worship the Lord there. Everywhere Abraham went, he was intent on worshiping the Father, honoring the Lord through worship. If we're going to stay in touch and in tune with God, one of the things that we have to do is make a commitment to worship him, placing him first. Then turn with me to Genesis chapter 15 for our last two uh, points here. A reminder, the title of the sermon is, What Do We Do When God Speaks?, Abraham chapter 2, verse 15. Now, Abraham has already had some journey. Okay, he got to the promised land there in chapter 12, verse 7 at 8. He showed up there. The Lord said, this is the land I'm going to give you. At that point, he separated from his nephew Lot, who had come with him. And then it, it, Lot got himself in trouble. Abraham has to go rescue Lot in chapter 14. And then you have this incredible image. I was tempted to preach on Melchizedek because Melchizedek is a priest who is an image of Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, so perfect picture for us. In fact, Hebrews chapter 6 and 7 says that Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek uh, and how Jesus fulfills his priesthood. So you have this incredible picture of this priest who shows up on the scene and uh, Abraham gives homage to him. The priest, when he shows up, brings bread and wine, which is interesting. A reminder of what Jesus did there in the upper room before he, was, he went to the cross. And then you come to the chapter 15, and this is a reaffirming or an affirmation of the covenant that God's already made with Abram. And, and let's read those six verses. The scripture says here, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram, vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless? And the heir to my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, and no slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look to the, at the sky and count the stars. And if you're able to count them, then he said, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want you to see two things as we come toward the end of this part of the Abrahamic covenant. One thing that we learned that we did not see in, in chapter 12 is this. God promised Abraham that he would protect him. So we trust God's protection. He said, do not be afraid. I, you know, I, I love that statement. That's the statement that shows up every time one of the angels, angels appears in the New Testament. Don't be afraid. You know what I'm going to do if a 10-foot-tall 
illuminated being in the middle of the night shows up in my bedroom, I'm going to be afraid, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake. I'm, I'm going to get a little bit worried. God, God appears to Abram in a dream, and he says, do not be afraid, Abram, but why does he tell him don't be afraid? This is not so much about seeing a scary image. This is to not be afraid for what's going to happen next in his life because he said, I am your shield. He is the one who's going to protect Abraham. As I read through that, my wife loves Star Trek. And, and the Star Trek movies are one thing, but even the Star Trek shows from the 70s. Her dad would come home from work, and that's one thing they do every single day is watch Star Trek. And the one thing that was always so cool about Star Trek is around the Enterprise, they had this defensive shield. Don't you wish you just had that shield around your car? You know, on, I'd, I'd be a different driver on 35. It would be bumper cars for me because I had the shield. As long as a Klingon didn't take down my shield, I'd be bouncing around and I'd, it wouldn't take me long to get anywhere. They, God says to Abraham, I am your shield. I am going to protect you. Now think about that for a moment. When you're walking with the Lord on a journey with him, obeying him, Scripture says nothing can get to you because the Lord God is your protection. He is your shield. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And he's going to provide a shield around you. Does that mean that nothing negative is never going to happen in this world? No. Tough stuff happens in this world, but he's going to be with you and walk you through it. And ultimately, you will we'll come out the other side victorious. I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. I've seen bad things happen to good people in this world. There's people that, that, that they died too young. Yes. That happens all the time. But those who are walking with the Lord never die. If you're walking in a relationship with the Lord, he is your protector, he is your provider, he's your shield. The promise from Christ is you also have eternity in him. And so he is your, your protector, your, your, your provider every step of the way. When we learn to trust in him to protect us, we're putting our faith in, in a shield that is impenetrable. There is a shield of faith that will stop every single dart and arrow that the enemy throws at you. And that is that shield of faith who is God himself. He tells Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now, this is where Abram argues with him a little bit. And he goes, wait a minute, I'm an old man. I don't have any kids. How are you gonna? How are you gonna give me this great inheritance? This great uh, uh, progeny? These great things? Are nations gonna be blessed because of me? How's all that gonna happen if I don't have any children? And of course, God says you'll have a child. And we know the rest of the story. If you were uh, in growth group this morning, even to the point where God Abraham trusted God to to provide for that child whom he asked to offer to him make a quick statement about that. Go back to what I said earlier. Everything that I have is a gift from God. You know that your children are blessings from God. They're a gift from God. In fact, they're not yours. They're his. He's given you the privilege of being their mom, the dad, to raise them, to encourage them, to point them to him for a period of time, but ultimately they grow up to be adults. It's when you realize that you don't have control over them anymore, but ultimately they were never yours in the first place. They were a gift from God that were all alone for a period of time. Trust him. 
He's trustworthy. When, when we're afraid, when we live in fear for our life, that's the exact opposite of faith. That's essentially saying, Lord, yeah, I know that you're a, you're a big God, but I don't think you're big enough to, to take care of me. I don't think you're big enough to solve my problems. And even though you promised you'd be with me, I just don't feel you. So I just don't think that, that, that you're enough. I'm here to tell you God is enough if you trust him. And here's the beauty. Verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was counted righteous because he put his faith, his trust in the Lord. It wasn't because of Abraham's good deeds that Abraham was considered to be righteous. It was because he trusted the Lord. You know, that phrase, that verse, verse 6 from, from Genesis chapter 15, 6, is quoted three times in Romans chapter 4. When you go to Romans and Paul's laying out his great uh, doctrine of salvation, from Romans chapter 1 really through Romans chapter 6, uh, he, he lays out this incredible image of how we are saved. He begins by saying we're all a mess in Romans chapter 1. Whether you're, you're a Gentile or whether you're, a, you know, you're, you're a, a Jew, whether you're a churchgoer or whether you're out there in the world, you're a sinner. And, and he sums that up in Romans 1, 2, and 3, and then he comes to Romans chapter 3. At the, toward the end of Romans chapter 3, in Romans 3, 23, he says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. We all have sinned in our life. And because of that, we don't have a relationship with the living God. Then he gets to Romans chapter 4. The entire chapter of Romans chapter 4 is about Abram and about this covenant that God made with Abraham and about how God called Abraham to follow him. And so Paul addresses all of that. All of Romans chapter 4 celebrates, uh, or most of it celebrates just Abram. A little piece of it in there talks about David. Uh, that's another interesting note because David was not the, the, the cleanest guy in the world. David's a guy who we know committed adultery and then had the, the committed murder, had the husband of the wife, the woman he committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband murdered. And so even in all of that sin, David and Abraham were considered heroes of the faith. Why? Because they were perfect, because they were clean, or because they did good deeds? No. They were just like everybody else. David was a sinner. Abraham was a sinner. And so this hero of the faith, Abraham, he also was a sinner. What is it? that God saw in him that God could use him to become a hero of faith and make such promises that he was going to live and his lineage is going to live forever. It was his faith. And so Romans chapter 4 in verse, verse 3 and in verse 9 and in verse 22, quote this verse over and over and over. How was Abraham made righteous? How was Abraham made right with God? By his faith. So scripture goes on to say, God gave you an opportunity to be made right with God. God provided his son who died on a cross and shed his blood, that if you would put your faith in him, Abraham was looking forward to God's provision on the cross. God gave him several images of how that provision was going to work itself. And certainly, I don't believe that Abraham understood exactly how the Messiah was going to come, when he was going to come, and what it was going to look like. But he certainly had an image of how God provided a mountain after he took his son up there to have him sacrifice. 
And, and in all of that, when we get to chapter 15, the scripture says, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What, what is it that makes us right with God, both in our, so that we can come into a faith relationship with him and so that we can walk with him in a way that pleases him every day the rest of our life. Let me put it this way to start with. If, to begin with, to enter into a relationship with God, you have to trust him. Okay? By faith, you enter into a relationship with God. Christ died on the cross and gave up his life for you, and none of us can, can prove it without a shadow of a doubt. There's no way that, that we, we can read the stories from history, we can read the stories of Scripture, but at some point you're going to have to, by faith, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross for you and shed his blood that you might have eternal life. By faith, you enter into a relationship with God. Paul teaches that all through Scripture. And then in, in Galatians chapter 4, right before he talks about Abraham again, or Galatians 3, where he's going to talk about Abraham again as an example, he tells us that the problem is a whole bunch of us, now that we've come to faith in Christ, trying to live our lives in our own strength. And Paul says, you know what you are? You're fools. The word can be translated idiots. If you think that you couldn't save yourself, but you can live every single day the rest of your life in a way that pleases God in your own strength, you're an idiot. Paul says, that, remember how you were saved? If you could only be saved by faith, the only hope you have of pleasing God is walking in life by faith. So you're going to have to learn to hear God's voice, trust God's voice, rely on his guidance, and put your faith in him. As you journey through this life, when you and I do that, we will be pleasing to God. The other upside of that is when we learn to walk by faith, we'll get to see God do things in our life that, you, that, that, that can't be explained in human terms. What does it mean to truly walk by faith? I go back to Hebrews 11 that we read a lot of today. Go through there and mark those two words, by faith. Mark them in your Bible. By faith, we understand the universe was created by God. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner. By faith, Sarah herself. By faith, Abraham was tested. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. And the, the Hebrews chapter 11 goes on and on and on. All of these heroes of the Old Testament, it was by faith that they pleased to God. In fact, I'll point out that the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 and the end of Hebrews chapter 11 has this statement, for our ancestors were approved by faith. Verse 1 says, for by this our ancestors were approved. And when you get down toward the end of the text in verse 39, it says, all of these approved, all of these who walked by faith and did all of these great deeds, even those who died, those who were sawn in two when they put their trust in God, and those who were stoned to death, those who died by the sword, those who wandered around in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, that walked with God by faith. Scripture says in Hebrews eleven thirty nine, 39, all of these were approved by their faith. You want to know how to please God? You want to know how to enter a journey with him, a fulfilling life that, that, that God uses you to accomplish his purposes? You're a part of his kingdom. It is by faith. Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him for righteousness. There's no other way, in summary, there's no other way to enter into a relationship with God except by faith. Paul says it's by grace you're saved through faith, 
not of works. There's, you can't do enough to measure up to God. So all you can do is come to God and say, Lord, I see what you've done for me. I believe. I want to follow you. There's no, no amount of works that you can do to measure up to God. But here, the next part of that equation is there's no way that a Christian can walk through this life doing things with their calculator, only attempting things that add up and not walk by faith. A quick story, and some of you know the story, so I'll share it quickly. It wasn't all that long ago. I thought it was longer ago than that. that that's, you know, at my age, time changes, you know, and things get compressed. 2018, in January 2018, four, uh, six years ago, we were up here on this stage. There was a group of us that the church had asked to seek the Lord's direction for next steps in our facilities, whether we needed to build a building across the, the road or whether we needed to work on this building, whatever. We, we, we spent a long time, in fact, almost a year, seeking the Lord, praying. The Lord provided some direction. We've, we came to the church that day, sat up here on stage, and said, we believe that the Lord's called us to step into a building project that was going to cost $315,000. We had already, as a committee, said, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. In fact, we don't see any way that we can do it. That was three-quarters of a yearly budget for this church at that time. And so the question was, how are we going to present it to the church? We agonized over that for over a month. And we said, all, all we can do is be obedient. If God's called us to it, we only have two choices. We either bring it to the church or we don't. Our step as a committee was to be obedient. So we get up here on stake. We get the same questions from the church. How are we going to afford it? We can't. How are we going to, how do you see this? You know, how are we going to do it? We don't know. All we know is that the Lord told us to bring it before you as a church and that he was going to somehow provide and we were going to get this nursery and this hallway done. The restrooms brought up to ADA compliance, all of that. It's going to cost $300,000. Someone brought up that, well, a few years ago, we went into a, a debt consolidator to get rid of all of our debt. We spent a year paying off uh, $125,000 in debt. How in the world do you think that we're going to pay off $300,000 in five months? so that we have the money before we start the project. We said, we don't know. But we believe God has called us to bring it to the church. It's up to you, church, to decide is God calling us or not. Y'all remember what the church said. A lot of y'all asked those questions. A lot of y'all were, were struggling with it. But as a church body, we came to this place where we said, we believe God's called us to go forward. And we did. And in less than five months, he'd provided all of the finances for it. And what every one of us, even those who brought it to the church thought was impossible for us to do and we got to see God move in ways that we would have never got to see him move if we only did it with a calculator it's when you take steps of faith that you get to see God do things that can't be explained in human terms and scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 there is no other way to please him except walk by faith and that's the question I have for you today. Are you willing to walk by faith? Maybe you've questioned whether or not Jesus truly is the, the, the Lord. Maybe you're, you're struggling with that. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ as your Savior. I'm going to plead with you. You'll never have it all figured out. You'll never be able to make everything make sense. It, it always is going to require a step of faith. If you feel the Holy Spirit drawing your heart today, I want to encourage you to step out of wherever you are and walk down the aisle and come talk to me or Victoria or Nathan. By faith, enter into relationship with the living God. 
And church family, maybe God's called you to go or do something that up to this point you've been unwilling to do. I'm gonna ask you, you don't have to come talk to me about it. You can just bring it to the altar and pray. If God's calling you, step out on faith, trust him. He's a trustworthy God. And secondary to that, you can't please him any other way than to walk by faith. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you.